Jimmy Akin's Mysterious World is brought to you by the StarQuest Production Network and is made possible by our many generous patrons. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit sqpn.com slash give. You're listening to episode 221 of Jimmy Akin's Mysterious World, where we look at mysteries from the twin perspectives of faith and reason. In this episode, we're talking about the mystery of shadow people. I'm Dom Bettinelli, and joining me today is Jimmy Aiken. Hi, Jimmy. Howdy, Dom. Have you ever thought you saw a dark, shadowy figure of a person out of the corner of your eye, only to turn and see that there's no one there? Maybe you've been in a darkened room and seen the shadowy silhouette of a person standing directly in front of you. Perhaps you've cautiously spoken to them, and even more frighteningly, perhaps they've answered and spoken back to you. If so, you may have encountered one of the mysterious shadow people. Who are they? Where do they come from? And are they aliens, ghosts, demons, or something else? That's what we'll be talking about on this episode of Jimmy Aiken's Mysterious World. So, Jimmy, this is a patron episode, correct? Yes, uh, this episode is sponsored by a patron named Arthur Budwin, and so we want to thank him for asking about shadow people and for his support of the program. Yes, thank you, Arthur. So most people grew up hearing about ghosts and aliens and demons, but not shadow people. How did the idea of shadow people become popular? It began a dramatic rise to prominence on April 12th in the year 2001. From the high desert and the great American Southwest, I bid you all good evening and or good morning across this great land of ours and beyond the island of Guam in the west, eastward to the Caribbean and the U.S. Virgin Islands, south into South America, north all the way to the Bowl, and worldwide on the Internet, this is Coast to Coast AM and I'm Art Bell. said, Art, I see shadow people. You know, like, I see dead people. I see shadow people. And that began a chain of events that's leading to the show that we're just now going to do. The person said, you know, Art, uh, not only do I see them from the corner of my eye, but I'm beginning to see what I call shadow people clad in dark a garb with usually, you know, with some kind of a, a cover over their head, a shroud or something. And I'm seeing them straight on, Art. Well, that began the avalanche. I got no less than uh, 4,500, 4,500 people bothered to sit down and email me long stories of what they've been seeing. So on his radio show, Coast to Coast AM, Art Bell took a call from a random person who said they were seeing shadow people and 4,500 listeners then wrote in with their own stories about seeing them. 
Art then read a few of the emails that people had sent and will play you some clips so that you can hear the kinds of experiences people were reporting. Art's listeners also sent in a bunch of drawings of the shadow people they were seeing, and he posted them on his website. Uh, They're still archived on the Internet, so we'll have links to them and also uh, show you some of the sketches people sent in the video version of the podcast at YouTube.com slash Jimmy Aiken. Here's the first shadow person encounter email that Art read from a 35-year-old woman. Art, I know you've received thousands of emails regarding the shadow people, but here's another one. I've seen what I could only describe as black outlines shaped like people at night, almost always in a semi-sleeping state. They've terrified me since I was 10 years old, and I'm 35 now. First time I saw them, I was 10 years of age. There were four of them in the room. I panicked, tried to run out of my bedroom, and kept flinging myself against my bedroom door, trying to push it open when it opened to the inside. This happened in the middle of the night, and my poor mother wanted to take me to a therapist when it repeatedly occurred. Once, after rearranging my bedroom furniture, I saw one and got up to run out of the room and ended up in my closet instead. Wrong door. Needless to say, this has been rather disconcerting to my mother, ex-husband, and current husband. Since I was a child of ten... My mother would come into the room because I was screaming in the middle of the night. She said my eyes were open. I appeared awake, but I was incoherent, terrified. First time I read Whitley Strieber's transformation, I began to wonder if I was perhaps being visited by aliens. And and it goes on and on. It's a long story. So this lady reports that she started seeing shadow people at age 10 when she saw four of them in her room. She describes them as black outlines that look like people. And by outlines, she could mean silhouettes, which is what most people report, though this isn't 100 percent clear from what she says. Uh, She only sees them at night in a semi-sleeping condition, and she wonders whether they might be aliens. Now, here's the second email Art read. Dear Art, I can't help but write this email to you. The subject has plagued me my entire life, and until I heard your program last week, I had no name for my, in quotes, difficulties. During my childhood, even from birth, my parents and friends noticed that I knew things or saw people that no one else saw. At nighttime, I remember sitting in bed and holding conversations with people inside my bedroom. They'd come to me, and sometimes while sitting on my bed, they'd talk to me. Now as an adult, I would be skeptical of this story if I didn't actually have proof from my parents who heard the conversations. My mother particularly remembers seeing me sitting straight up in bed talking to someone and listening as a man answered me. These visits came constantly and of course there were the positive and friendly visitors and the ones that would cause me to scream and become a horrible insomniac for six months at a time. I remember these people so vividly, the good, the bad. I can still see them in front of me. This person's experience also began in childhood. The shadow people would sit on their bed and talk to them. The parents heard both sides of the conversation, including a man's voice responding to the child. And there were both positive, non-frightening encounters, as well as some negative, frightening ones that would cause long periods of sleep difficulties. Art's third story came from a woman named Susan. 
from Susan. It was no surprise when I heard on the Art Bell Show about the shadow people. I haven't seen one face to face, but I've lately been seeing out of the corner of my eye that which quickly disappears and a very definite presence standing behind me. And when I turn around, there's nothing there. I mentioned it to a friend of mine who's from Cuba about Art Bell's program on the shadow people. And before I even had a chance to tell him about the program, he blurted out, I forgot to tell you, I saw one of them. He then went on to describe how he'd been sitting at the computer practicing sending digital photos to his brother, who's in the same area, Anaheim, when he felt someone in the room with him. He had just sent a photo and turned around to see a being in the shape of a human, although not very tall, covered all in black, except for the eyes, which he said were red and round. He said it had what appeared to be two arms, two legs, and not very tall. When he disappeared, the computer at the same uh, simultaneously malfunctioned, he adds. Susan reports seeing shadow people out of the corner of her eye, but they quickly disappear. She also reports sensing a presence behind her, but not seeing anything when she turns around. Her friend reports seeing shadow, seeing a shadow person directly. Uh, it looked human but not very tall. It had red round eyes. And when it vanished, the computer he was using malfunctioned. Finally, Art read an email from a 17-year-old named Jonathan. Art, my name is Jonathan. 17 years old. I'm in Sarasota. I prefer not to give my last name. A few years ago, I started seeing shadow people. Didn't know what to make of it at first until I until they actually began to talk to me. And I told my parents, they sent me to a doctor to see if there was something wrong with me, Art. Doctor found nothing. Since then, the encounters have gotten worse. The beings tell me things I don't understand. Sometimes I can understand a few words and actions. They seem to have human emotion. And from what I've seen, they show anger, sadness, frustration, depression. When I first started uh, seeing them, there was one that stood out from the rest. I notice uh, the others don't talk to him as much, and I have no idea why. Most of them display average human size. Their speed is unreal. I've seen them race across my room so fast that I can't even see them. They don't walk. They glide like birds. They make no sound except voices. Art, I'm not crazy. I can't deal with it anymore. I can't talk to anyone about this without them thinking I'm crazy. Jonathan says he didn't know what to think of his shadow people experiences. They were shaped like normal-sized humans, and they moved very fast with gliding-like motions. Then they started talking to him, but he couldn't understand what they were saying except for a few words and phrases. By observing their behavior, Jonathan came to believe that the shadow people display human emotions, including anger, sadness, frustration, and depression. And there was one shadow person that the others didn't speak with as much, so they may have been ostracizing him. When Jonathan's parents had him checked out, the doctor found nothing wrong. What did Art do after receiving these 4,500 emails? He decided to see if he could find an expert who could talk about the shadow people on his show. I tried to pursue somebody who could talk about this, who would know something about it, and I have found Thunder Strikes. Thunder Strikes is a twisted hair's elder and a Nagual leader within the sweet medicine Sundance path. His diverse background in ceremonial medicine, comparative religions, psychology, ancient mystery school traditions, and the martial arts contributes to his remarkable skill 
as a contemporary shaman. So Thunderstrikes was a shaman, and he has a really detailed set of claims about his life that we won't be getting into much because it's not our subject today. Here is Thunder Strikes. Thunder Strikes, welcome. Welcome. I'm glad to be here. You were sort of brought along by your your uh, your grandmother. Yes, my mother's mother was a um, um, very very powerful medicine woman. One thing led to another, and I I stayed with it. So the the first thing I need to say, uh, Mr. Bell, is that. Um, I came into this journey and in learning about knowledge um, from these elders that are called Twisted Hairs. And the center of that elders group are a group of very, very old and wise uh, men and women that are called the Zero Chiefs. Um, they spent their time studying the universe, studying the mysteries of the universe, uh, discovered the sigma value of nine, um, and uh, really un unveiled the, the true nature of, of, of Zero, the universe. Uh, they were talking about dark matter and black holes and what have you before science was even invented, much less, you know, went that direction. I was fortunate enough to study with a man, um, Grandfather Tom Wilson, he's since passed over. Um, that was the pseudo name that uh, was used in Carlos Castaneda's books, uh, Don Gennato, um, and or Hinato. No. And um, that was my teacher. Um, he adopted me as his grandson. I studied with him for close to 40 years. Now, I was curious about Thunderstrike's credentials. Uh, his claim to be a Twisted Hairs elder, a Nagua leader, and a practitioner of the Sweet Medicine Sundance path. Uh, those are all things that should be capable of being looked up and verified or falsified. But as soon as I heard him start speaking, all kinds of red flags went up. I was immediately suspicious of his claims about what he called the Zero Chiefs, who allegedly determined the sigma value of nine, which appears to be mathematical nonsense. There, there are such things as sigma values, but not for an individual number like nine. Uh, and he says they determined the true nature of zero or the universe and that they were talking about black holes and dark matter before science was invented. All of that is extremely suspicious. But then he claimed that he studied for almost 40 years under a man named Grandfather Tom Wilson, who was the real-life figure called Don Gennaro in Carlos Castaneda's books. And I immediately concluded, this guy's a fake. We talked about alleged shaman Carlos Castaneda back in episode 132. What made you think Thunderstrikes was a fake? Because Carlos Castaneda was a fake. Uh, he claimed to have been trained by shamans named Don Juan and Don Gennaro. Uh, Castaneda gave enough clues about Don Juan that he should have been findable, and many people tried to do so. But it appears that Don Juan never existed and that Carlos Castaneda was a fraud. So this made Thunderstrikes look like he also was a fraud, trying to hook himself into the legacy of an even more successful fraud. Did you find evidence that would confirm that? I did. Uh, we'll have links to a couple of web pages that go into that. But in particular, I'd like to cite some research that was done by a gentleman named Friedrich Abel. First, though, I should mention that Thunderstrikes is also an alias. His real name was apparently Harley Reagan, although he went by Harley Swift Deer Reagan. And Friedrich Abel started checking up on his claims concerning Tom Wilson. 
Wilson was an actual Navajo medicine man who died in 1981, and so Abel went to the Navajo Nation, or Navajo Land, in Arizona to meet with Wilson's family. Abel reports that, according to the family... In the early 1970s, Harley Swiftier showed up at the office of the Navajo School of Medicine Men in nearby Rough Rock, a government-funded program that had been set up to train young Navajos in the traditional healing practices and ceremonies. He expressed an interest in the program and was told that it was strictly for Navajo apprentices, for obvious reasons, among them the exclusive use of the archaic Navajo ritual language for the ritual practices, plus the given circumstance that none of the teaching medicine men could speak a word of English. Swiftier hung around for a while, promised material support of the program with blankets and other goods, and he socially befriended one of the instructors, Tom Wilson. My grandfather, explained grandson Albert Yellowhair to me, was a very friendly, very kind man, and even though he couldn't communicate with Swiftier, who didn't speak a word of Navajo, and never taught him anything, he somehow must have appreciated the interest Swiftier showed, and so he let him and his friends camp out on his land over a weekend once in a while. That was it. That's as far as the relationship and the apprenticeship went. Swiftier would show up with some of his people, and they would put up a tent out on the land, away from Grandfather's Hogan. There they would camp out. I don't know what they did, but Grandfather Wilson never instructed them or taught them anything. He couldn't have. He spoke no English. He just let Swiftier camp out on his land. That was it. He was just being friendly. That's all. He never spent any time with them at all. These purely social visits took place over the duration of a year or two, and that was pretty much it. The family thought they had seen the last of him. The big disillusionment and shock came years later when, after Grandfather Wilson's death in 1981, they started to hear more and more rumors about Swiftier's dubious activities as a shaman in the Phoenix area, about his false claims of having been an apprentice of Wilson, who Swiftier claimed to be identical with the sorcerer Don Gennaro in the Carlos Castaneda books, for 13 years, from 1966 to 1979 and about being in lineage with and a current Twisted Hair's elder of a secret medicine society Tom Wilson supposedly belonged to. So the family said that Harley Swiftier Reagan, or Thunderstrikes, knew their grandfather socially and that Tom Wilson allowed him to occasionally camp on his land for a couple of years, but that he did not study with him for 13 years from 1966 to 1979, as Swiftier was claiming in the 80s, much less the almost 40 years he claimed on the Art Bell Show, which would have required him to start studying with Wilson in the early 1940s, since Wilson died in 1981. Instead, the family says the two men met in the early 70s and that their grandfather didn't give him any instruction at all, in part because they didn't speak the same languages. Harley Reagan didn't speak Navajo and Tom Wilson didn't speak English. Oh, and uh, Wilson certainly never adopted Reagan as his grandson. Where does that leave us regarding Harley Reagan? Harley Reagan, Swift Deer, Thunderstrikes, or whatever he preferred to call himself, was what is known as a plastic shaman, a person who falsely claims to be a shaman in a particular culture, often for personal gain. There are many other accusations concerning Harley Reagan, which you can read about. Uh, for example, he claimed to be 
uh, half Cherokee and half Irish. But the Cherokee Nation says this was false, that Harley uh, was of European ancestry and falsely claimed to be half Cherokee. In particular, they pointed to Reagan's claim that he grew up on a Cherokee reservation in Texas when the Cherokees didn't have reservations in Texas. On the Art Bell Show, Thunderstrikes went on to talk about the shadow people in terms of Native American folklore, but since he was a fraud, we won't be relying on anything he said, because he was a lying liar who lied. So this is the point where I unceremoniously eject him from our story. Just be aware that if you do research on shadow people, you will run into the figure of Harley Swift Deer Thunderstrikes Reagan, so take his nature as a fraudster into account. If the shadow people craze took off in 2001 after discussion on Art Bell's show, that's a little suspicious. It's even more suspicious if it was started as a result of a discussion with a fraudulent shaman. Could shadow people just be a modern pop culture phenomenon and not something that's been reported before? That was a question that I considered when I first began looking into the subject, but no, uh, people really had been reporting shadow people already. They didn't call them that. They didn't have a name for the phenomenon. But after his initial caller, Art Bell apparently got 4,500 emails from listeners talking about their experiences. And any super large number like that after a single phone call wouldn't be likely to happen if there was no underlying phenomenon. Uh, you might get some people making similar reports, but not that many. Also, though Thunderstrikes was a plastic shaman who should not be believed, Native American folklore does include shadow people. For example, in 1931, the American anthropologist John Reed Swanton published a monograph in the Bureau of American Ethnology Bulletin uh, called Source Material for the Social and Ceremonial Life of the Choctaw Indians. And among the Choctaw supernatural beings Swanton chronicled was... Nalusa the long black being, which resembles a man, but has small eyes and long pointed ears and sometimes frightens hunters or even communicates its own power of doing harm. Also, it was their ancient belief that every man had Shilambish, the outside shadow, which always followed him, and Shilap, the inside shadow or ghost, which at death goes to the land of ghosts. The Shalombish was supposed to remain upon the earth and wander restless about its former habitation, and often, especially at night, by its pitiful moans, so to affrighten its surviving friends as to make them forsake the spot and seek another abode. It is also supposed frequently to assume the form of a fox or owl, and, by barking like the one and screeching like the other at night, causes great consternation, for the cry is ominous of ill. They distinguish between its note and that of the animals it imitates in this way. When a fox barks or an owl screeches, another fox or owl replies. But when the shalombish imitates the sound of either animal, no response is given. So the Choctaw alone believe in the Nalusophilia, or long black being that resembled a man and would frighten and even threaten them, as well as the belief in the Shalambish, or the exterior shadow of a person that would remain after the person died. It would wander about at night, make frightening noises, and sometimes turn into animals. And the Choctaw are by no means unique in this regard. People have been seeing dark, shadowy silhouettes, including out of the corners of their eyes, 
all the way through history. So I don't think that this is a case of Art Bell accidentally spawning a pop culture phenomenon that didn't exist before. Instead, it looks like Art Bell like the Art Bell show, gave a new popular name to a phenomenon that has always been with us. Are all stories of shadow people the same, or do they fall into categories? The best book on the modern shadow people phenomenon seems to be one written by journalism teacher and researcher Jason Offutt. In his book, Darkness Walks, The Shadow People Among Us, Offutt chronicles numerous modern stories of shadow people that he's collected and says... Out of these stories have emerged eight general categories of shadow people. Benign shadows, shadows of terror, red-eyed shadows, noisy shadows, angry hooded shadows, shadows that attack, shadow cats, and the hat man. These categories often overlap. Some terrifying shadow people have red eyes, some don't. Some hat men are ominous, some are not. Some angry hooded shadows seem to paralyze you and sometimes attack. Others simply seem to acknowledge your presence before they make their way through your house and disappear through a wall. So this gives us a general sense of what shadow people experiences are supposed to be like. We won't go through all of Offit's eight categories, though in his book, he provides at least a chapter on each one of them. However, his categories give you a general sense of things. How would you summarize shadow people yourself based on the reports? The first and most prominent characteristic of shadow people is they, that they appear to be dark, shadowy figures. Often they're seen at night, and the shadow people seem to be darker than the shadows that surround them. In terms of physical form, shadow people normally look like human beings. However, they sometimes take the shape of known animals or even change between human form and animal form in front of witnesses. When they appear as humans, they most often appear normal-sized, though sometimes they appear smaller or taller than normal. Judging by their silhouettes, they often appear to be wearing clothing, and this may include a hat, leading to reports of the shadowy hat man figure, but it also may include a hood, like a monk's cowl or a hooded sweatshirt. And sometimes they display particular features, like growing glowing eyes, which may be red. When it comes to their behavior, they can be non-threatening uh, without inspiring fear on the part of people who witness them, or they can seem hostile, appearing angry, threatening the witnesses, and even attacking them. We've focused on the visual aspects of shadow people, but humans are primarily visual creatures, unlike dogs who rely heavily on their heightened sense of smell. Do shadow people encounters involve more senses than just sight? They can involve additional senses, and the most commonly reported additional sense seems to be hearing. Uh, there are multiple reports of witnesses hearing the shadow people. So uh, they are reported to make sounds, like in two of the emails that Art Bell read, uh, in which witnesses reported hearing the shadow people speak to them. And in one case, the witness's parents reported hearing a man's voice speaking back to the child. Shadow people also are sometimes reported to make other noises, though it's not common. They are sometimes reported to make a buzzing noise that can sound like an electrical hum or the sound of bees or a high-pitched whine. Sometimes it isn't an audible buzzing, but a physically felt vibration. And sometimes people also report being touched by shadow people, making it seem like they have a physical aspect. 
On the other hand, people also report seeing them walk through solid objects. And very interestingly, they sometimes report them looking three-dimensional, but other times they report them looking flat and two-dimensional. What is it like for witnesses who see shadow people? Do they see them with their physical eyes, or is it more likely a mental image that they see with their mind's eye? In episode 212 on the mystery of bilocation, I proposed a way of classifying what the witnesses of a bilocation see. And this system basically works for other kinds of unusual presences also, including ghosts, apparitions, and shadow people. The scale uh, was a system of five types of experiences that witnesses may have. At the top of the scale was a type one experience, which is so vivid that the witness thinks they're seeing something through their physical eyes. That might be true or it might not be true that their physical eyes are seeing something. But as far as the witness is concerned, it seems like what they're seeing is coming through their eyes and is not just a mental image. A step down from that is a type two experience where it still seems to the witness like they're seeing something through their physical eyes, but they can tell that what they're seeing is off in some way. Uh, Maybe it's misty or transparent, or maybe the form doesn't have feet and just floats in the air. In the middle of the scale is a type three experience where the witness knows that the image is not coming through the through their eyes. Instead, they realize it's a mental image, so they know it's an interior vision rather than an exterior one. Below that is a type four experience where the witness doesn't actually see anything, but they feel something like sensing a presence. And finally, there are type five experiences where something is there but people don't see or perceive it. They don't notice it at all. What type or types apply to shadow people encounters? It seems like there may be a range of them. Most of the experiences reported seem to be visual, though not all of them are. For example, Art Bell's correspondent Susan reported that she would see shadow people out of the corner of her eye and also feel one of them behind her. That feeling that one is there behind you where you can't see it would be a type four experience. But perceiving one out of the corner of your eye involves exterior vision or what you perceive as exterior vision. So that would make it either type one or type two. There may well be some experience who only get an interior mental image of shadow people, in which case the experience would be type three. But in the numerous accounts I've read, most of them seem to report uh, seeing the shadow people with their eyes. So it would be type one or type two. The difference would be whether they perceive something as wrong or off with what they're seeing. And that does seem to happen. In fact, the fact that the figures they see are dark makes them seem off from normal images. So so does the fact that the witnesses often describe shadow people as being darker than the gloom that surrounds them. And in at least one case I've read, the witness reported not seeing feet. So I think most shadow people encounters would likely be classified as type two, where a person believes their exterior vision is engaged, but realizes there's something odd about it. Though 
I can't exclude that there are other types of experiences. In any case, we've now given an overall description of what shadow people experiences are like, so we can start to analyze them and what causes them. Before we get to that, our theories and our faith and reason perspective, I'd like to take a moment to thank our patrons who make this show possible, including Justin S., Austin B., Daniel S., David P., and Donald A., their generous donations at sqpn.com slash give make it possible for us to continue Jimmy Yakin's Mysterious World and all the shows at StarQuest. You can join them by visiting sqpn.com slash give. Jimmy Akin's Mysterious World is also brought to you in part through the generous support of Aaron Ferguson Electric and Automation at aaronv.com, A-A-R-O-N-V.com, making connections for life for your automation and smart home needs in North and Central Florida. And by Catechism Class, a dynamic weekly podcast journey through the Catechism of the Catholic Church by Greg and Jennifer Willits. It's the best book club, coffee talk, and faith study group all rolled into one. Find it in any podcast directory. So, Jimmy, what theories are there about shadow people? There are two basic theories about shadow people encounters. Uh, First, that they have normal explanations, and second, that they have paranormal explanations. There are actually quite a number of possibilities under both of these categories, so I won't list them all here, but we'll name them as we go through the two categories. Okay, so what can we say about shadow people from the reason perspective? The first thing to say is that normal experiences are more common than paranormal ones. That's why we call normal experiences normal. If we saw ghosts or aliens as often as we see dogs and cats, then ghosts and aliens would be considered perfectly normal. So paranormal experiences are by definition less common. This means that when investigating a reported paranormal encounter, we need to first consider uh, whether it has possible normal explanations. And if the evidence is that a report was not due to normal causes, then that would give us evidence that it has a paranormal explanation. What are some normal explanations for shadow people reports? One natural explanation that shows up in every set of paranormal reports is hoaxes. Sometimes people make false reports of unusual experiences, whether it's UFOs, Bigfoot, aliens, or demons, either because they want to profit from it or because they want attention or because they want to feel special or because they want to have fun at the expense of others. So I'm quite confident that some Shadow people reports are hoaxes. But not all of them. You wouldn't say that all 4,500 of the people who emailed Art Bell were hoaxing, would you? No, not at all. Um, I'm sure that many of the people, most of them, were quite sincere. So we'll need to look at additional natural explanations for what could be responsible for their experiences. For example, the 35-year-old woman who emailed Art Bell said that she would see the shadow people at night and almost always in a semi-sleeping position. The second person who emailed Art also talked about seeing the shadow people while being in bed. Both of these, as well as many other shadow people reports, suggest that a sleep-related phenomenon could be involved. And one of the most common sleep-related phenomena is dreaming. So we'll need to consider whether some shadow people reports may simply 
Speedy to Dreams. In fact, in Darkness Walks, Jason Offit records at least one shadow person encounter where the experience knew full well that she was asleep. But she saw shadow people in her dream, and so she reported it as a shadow person encounter. And she could be right about that. If shadow people are real and telepathic, they might have communicated with her in a dream. But other people may dream about shadow people just because their subconscious conjures up images of dark, shadowy figures for them and nothing paranormal may be going on. What about the fact that many of the witnesses reporting being in bed but awake when they encounter the shadow people? Some of them may well be, but others may not be. It is possible to dream about lying awake in bed. Uh, As a person with a history of insomnia, which is much better now, um, I've had numerous frustrating dreams where I was uh, tired and awake and lying in bed trying to sleep, only to then wake up and realize I really had been asleep. So some of the witnesses may be people who dreamed that they were awake in bed, but really they may not have been. Another thing I noticed when I dug into the literature on this was that a lot of witnesses report encountering shadow people as they're in the process of waking up. Uh, They may wake up and see a shadow person and feel paralyzed in bed and unable to move. That raises the possibility of another known sleep-related phenomenon known as sleep paralysis. Now, not everyone may have heard of sleep paralysis. What happens to people when they experience it? We have a module in our brains that activates when we sleep and that paralyzes our bodies. This is for our own safety, so we don't try to physically act out our dreams and stumble around and hurt ourselves or others. But sometimes there's a mismatch between the paralysis module and the dream module and our waking module. So we start to wake up, but the paralysis module is still on. So we find we can't move. Uh, Not being able to move is a freaky experience, and it interacts with our dream function, which then creates a threatening dream scenario. One of the most common dreams people have in this situation is perceiving an intruder in their house. Another common one is where they dream not only that there's an intruder in their house, but that the intruder is making it hard for them to breathe, such as by sitting on their chest, which because of the paralysis function, you know, their body is not supplying a normal waking breathing rhythm. And so you dream that the intruder is doing something that's stopping you from breathing properly. How common is sleep paralysis? It's quite common, and over the years, I've had a few occasions of sleep paralysis myself. I seemed to be fully awake, but I was unable to move my body, and I did indeed think that there were intruders in my home in the hallway outside my bedroom. I eventually struggled enough to get my body moving that the paralysis function turned off, and I then realized it was just sleep paralysis with an intruder dream, and nobody but me was home. Well, in shadow people literature, a bunch of people report waking up, being paralyzed, and seeing shadow people intruders. Uh, Sometimes they dream that the shadow person is stopping them from breathing properly, such as by choking them, and they then struggle violently enough to move and yell at the shadow person, and the experience goes away. 
This really closely parallels other sleep paralysis experiences with the shadow person in the role of the home intruder. So I think that there are a good number of these experiences that can be tied to and explained in terms of sleep paralysis. People aren't always asleep or dreaming when they're in bed. Sometimes they've been fully awake, but trying to get to sleep. What about people who are genuinely awake in bed, but report shadow people? There's another natural explanation we need to consider, which is misperception. Humans are diurnal creatures, meaning that we're most active during the daytime. So our eyes and perceptual system is built to allow us to navigate environments with lots of light. Our perceptual systems don't function nearly so well in the dark, and it can be very easy for us to misperceive things that we see in the dark. Speaking from my own experience again, uh, when I was a kid, there was a period where each night I would see a slea stack standing in my closet. (laughs) That term takes me back. That is a term a lot of listeners may not know, but Tell them, what's a slea stack? Well, in the 1970s, the slea stack were recurring antagonists on my favorite Saturday morning TV show, Land of the Lost. Uh, They were tall, bug-eyed humanoids with characteristics of both reptiles and insects, and they were really scary. Uh, With the light out in my bedroom, I could just see the slea stack standing in my closet. Uh, Of course, what was really happening was my subconscious was trying to make sense out of the few visual clues it could pick up from the closet in the darkness. And it superimposed the image of a slea stack on top of them and then fed that into my perceptual system. So if I got up and turned on the light, the slea stack would vanish. In part, the reason I saw a slea stack was that I understood them to be threats and biologically were programmed to be hypersensitive to threats, especially in environments where we don't function well, like the dark. So if your brain has incomplete sensory information that it's trying to make sense out of, it's more likely to tell you that it's a threat so that you can avoid it rather than tell you there's nothing to worry about and have it turn out that it is a threat that you need to avoid. So it's better to fail safe on the assumption that there is a threat when dealing with incomplete sensory information, and that's what your brain does. And you think that's what's likely happening in some shadow people encounters? Yes, uh, people report seeing them in the dark, an environment where our perceptual system doesn't work well. Uh, They report them being darker than the gloom that surrounds them, suggesting that their brains may be trying to make sense out of the darker patches that they perceive in the gloom, especially the dark corners of rooms where shadow people are often said to appear. And on the failsafe principle, their brains report a threatening figure based on the incomplete sensory information they're getting about the room. Notice also that three of Art Bell's four correspondents said they started seeing shadow people when they were in childhood, the same time that my nighttime slea stack encounters occurred. But some witnesses report seeing shadow people in conditions where it isn't that dark. How could you explain those naturally? There are a variety of things that could cause an individual to see shadow people without them being there. One is mental illness. Uh, While people with schizophrenia and bipolar disorder, for example, sometimes experience visual hallucinations. There also are physical illnesses that can cause hallucinations. Alzheimer's and Parkinson's disease can do that. 
So can having occipital lobe brain tumors, temporal lobe tumors, and tumors that lie along the optic path in the brain. Then there are hallucinations caused by pharmaceuticals or drugs. In fact, one of the shadow people reports in Jason Offit's book came from a woman who had just had surgery. She was still heavily medicated and couldn't take care of herself, so she was staying with a friend, and her encounter may have been caused by the drugs that she was on from the surgery. Other people take drugs for non-therapeutic purposes, and one kind of drug that has been associated with seeing shadow people is methamphetamines, particularly due to the sleep deprivation that meth use can cause. In the book, The Methamphetamine Crisis, edited by uh, Herbert Covey, it says... Reports of 15 to almost 40 days without sleep have been reported to the authors of this book. While it is true that addicts do stay awake for very long periods of time, what is likely is that they actually take short naps and float in and out of consciousness. They never fall into a deep and replenishing sleep until later in the cycle. While meth is not a hallucinogen or a psychedelic, it is easy to understand how prolonged sleep deprivation would result in bizarre behaviors and thoughts. Sleep deprivation can result in profoundly disturbing hallucinations. For example, many addicts will describe the shadow people that seem to appear and be very real to them. So sleep-deprived meth addicts are known to describe shadow people, and other sleep-deprived people might do so as well, because not getting enough sleep can mess you up in the long term, as we talked about in episode 98 on the mystery of sleep. Presumably, not that many individuals who report seeing shadow people have schizophrenia or brain tumors or are on meth or are severely sleep-deprived. Before we turn to paranormal explanations, are there other natural causes that could explain their experiences? There are two, I would mention, that may be somewhat surprising. One is infrasound, or very low frequency sound that we can't hear. Sound frequencies are measured in a unit called hertz. One hertz corresponds to a wave with a peak once a second. Ten hertz corresponds to a wave with, with ten peaks per second. And we can hear frequencies down to about 20 to 22 hertz. But anything lower than that is infrasound. And even though we can't hear it, infrasound just meaning very low frequency sound. And even though we can't hear it, infrasound can affect our bodies. The Skeptic's Dictionary entry on infrasound reports, Even though these waves can't be heard by us, they can be felt and have been shown to produce a range of effects in some people, including anxiety, extreme sorrow, and chills. Loud infrasound in the range of 0.5 to 10 hertz is sufficient to activate the vestibular or balance system in the inner ear. Psychologist Richard Wiseman of the University of Hertfordshire thinks that the odd sensations that people attribute to ghosts may be caused by infrasonic vibrations. He is not alone. Anxiety, sorrow, and chills are three of the symptoms people associate with ghosts. 
and shadow people. And parapsychologists have pointed out that the infrasound that can cause them is a likely natural explanation for some paranormal reports. In 1998, Vic Tandy published an article in the Journal for the Society of Psychical Research, and in the article, he describes his experiences working in an industrial lab that had a reputation for being haunted. As time went on, Vic noticed one or two other odd events. There was a feeling of depression, occasionally a cold shiver. Vic was working on his own one night after everyone else had left. As he sat at the desk writing, he began to feel increasingly uncomfortable. He was sweating but cold, and the feeling of depression was noticeable. The cats were moving around, and the groans and creaks from what was now a deserted factory were spooky. But there was something else. It was as though something was in the room with Vic. There was no way into the lab without walking past the desk where Vic was working. Vic went to get a cup of coffee and returned to the desk. As he was writing, he became aware that he was being watched, and a figure slowly emerged to his left. It was indistinct on the periphery of his vision, but it moved as Vic would expect a person to. The apparition was gray and made no sound. The hair was standing up on Vic's neck, and there was a distinct chill in the room. As Vic recalls, it would not be unreasonable to suggest I was terrified. Vic was unable to see any detail and finally built up the courage to turn and face the thing. As he turned, the apparition faded and disappeared. So Vic Tandy was alone at night and began experiencing spooky sensations. He saw an indistinct human-like figure moving about in his peripheral vision, but when he turned to face it, it disappeared. Upon further investigation, it turned out that the industrial lab where he was working had equipment set up in such a way that it created a standing wave of infrasound in the lab. He measured the wave's frequency, and it turned out to be 19 hertz. He eventually identified the source of the infrasound as a new industrial fan that had been installed, and when he turned off the fan, the standing wave vanished. He also investigated the physiological effects of infrasound, and one of the things he found was this. A NASA technical report mentions a resonant frequency for the eye as 18 hertz. If this were the case, then the eyeball would be vibrating, which would cause a serious smearing of vision. It would not seem unreasonable to see dark, shadowy forms caused by something as innocent as the corner of Vic's spectacles. Vic would not normally be aware of this, but its size would be much greater if the image was spread over a larger part of his retina. So the standing wave of infrasound may have caused Vic's eyeball to vibrate, distorting things in his peripheral vision, like the edge of his spectacles, and making them seem to move, producing the figure he saw moving in his peripheral vision. The exact resonant frequency of the human eyeball is apparently debated, and it probably varies over a range of frequencies. NASA estimated it to be 18 hertz, which was very close to the 19 hertz standing wave that Vic measured. But people in areas where there are infrasound frequencies in this range, whether caused by mechanical equipment or other things, may unknowingly have their eyeballs vibrate, causing them... uh, to see things in their peripheral vision that appear to move, 
only to have the image of movement vanish when they turn their heads to look directly at the source of movement. And this could explain some shadow people reports. In fact, in episode 210 on the haunted house of Marin County, parapsychologist Lloyd Auerbach told us about a case he investigated where this was happening. It was the environmental hell case where it turned out that everything going on at the location had a natural cause in the environment, unlike the haunted house of Marin County itself. So I think some shadow people encounters may be naturally caused by infrasound. You said there was another natural cause that people might find surprising. And what's that? Electromagnetic fields, or EMFs. There has been lab research that shows that electromagnetic fields can affect the temporal lobe of the brain in a way that causes hallucinations. And it's hypothetically possible that someone living in a high EMF environment, such as near high tension wires, might have this happen to them depending on their individual brain. However, I need to stress that this is only a hypothetical possibility. We don't have proof that this is happening in the field. So this one may or may not be a natural explanation of some shadow people encounters. Thus far, we've been looking at natural causes that could produce shadow people reports. But let's suppose that when investigating a given report, we've checked out all the natural explanations and none of them seem like good candidates. At this point, a paranormal investigator would consider non-natural explanations. So let's talk about those. Could shadow people be aliens? Because it's always aliens. I can't rule it out. Uh, Aliens capable of traveling to Earth would likely have all kinds of exotic technologies, and that could include a kind of cloaking technology that makes them look like shadowy figures. But my question would be, why would they want to do that? Uh, We already have metamaterials capable of producing limited invisibility across a narrow part of the electromagnetic spectrum, as we talked about in episode 207 on UFO crash debris. In the future, we're very likely to have full metamaterial cloaking, allowing us to make objects completely invisible. So if aliens wanted to cloak themselves from our sight, why not go all the way and just be invisible? Why would they settle for looking like dark, shadowy figures? I mean, a human can do the same thing by putting on a black body stocking and pulling a black hood over their head. Also, if shadow people were aliens, we'd expect them we'd expect to see them frequently do things that aliens are reported to do in the UFO literature, like getting on board a UFO or abducting people. But that doesn't seem to be the case. So the idea that they're aliens seems to me to be just speculation, not something backed up by evidence. What about the idea that they are interdimensionals, visitors from another dimension? It would depend on whether it was from a physical dimension like ours or a spiritual dimension. If it was a physical dimension, then they would need the technology to cross dimensional barriers, which is technology we're not even close to having. So I would expect them to have technologies we are close to having, like metamaterial cloaking, in which case the same question applies to them that would apply to aliens. Why would you just make yourself look shadowy? Why not become completely invisible if you were trying to hide? Also, I don't see any evidence clearly pointing to them having an origin in another physical dimension. To me, this sounds like more speculation that's not supported by evidence. I can't rule out 
that some shadow people might be aliens or or interdimensionals. I just don't see any evidence supporting this. I thus think that to the extent that shadow people reports have a paranormal explanation, it's more likely that they have a non-physical rather than a physical origin. How would you explain the fact that non-physical shadow people sometimes are reported to grab or pinch people? By psychokinesis or mind over matter. Angels and demons are known to have this. Uh, Ghosts are reported to have it too. And parapsychologists have sought to demonstrate in the laboratory that it's a human ability as well. In fact, recurrent spontaneous psychokinesis is commonly thought to be the major explanation for poltergeist activity, as we talked about in episode 195. So even if something is non-physical, that doesn't mean it can't affect physical objects. It may just be psychokinetic. Then let's talk about non-physical things that shadow people might represent. In his book, Jason Offit records the opinions of some people who think that they might be psychic vampires, that they come to people, frighten them, and then feed off the negative emotions they produce. What do you make of that? It's an interesting idea, but as always, we need to consider alternatives. Just because something is frightening and it shows up doesn't mean it's feeding on your fear. I mean, sharks and bears frighten people when they encounter them, but sharks and bears don't feed on people's fear. Uh, Just because something is scary doesn't mean it's a psychic vampire. So I would want more evidence than I have for this hypothesis. I think other more familiar paranormal explanations are more likely. The three kinds of paranormal experiences that are most commonly reported involve poltergeists, hauntings, and apparitions. All paranormal manifestations are uncommon, but when they get reported in the field, these three are the most common. And it makes sense to me to consider whether shadow people might be the product of one or more of them. Then let's talk about those three. Could shadow people be connected to poltergeists? I think they could. Uh, In fact, I can see how poltergeists and shadow people might fit together rather well. Uh, While a spirit can cause unexplained sounds and unexplained movement of objects, most cases on poltergeists that have been studied don't indicate the involvement of a spirit. As we discussed in episode 195, genuinely paranormal poltergeist reports are commonly attributed to recurrent spontaneous psychokinesis, or RSPK. In other words, a living person, usually at a time of high stress, subconsciously begins displaying psychokinesis. However, they don't realize that that they are the cause of what's happening. And so based on ghost reports, they assume a spirit is causing it instead. Some shadow people reports involve unexplained noises and moving objects. So hypothetically, a living person who's displaying RSPK could be the real cause of these things, and yet they might attribute it to a hidden entity. Given the natural causes we've discussed previously, they might even think that they've seen uh, the entity as a shadow person, particularly in low lighting conditions or when they're half asleep. And so I can see how shadow person reports could be linked to poltergeist activity. Said the other two commonly reported phenomena in the field are hauntings and apparitions. We talked about the difference between those in episode 210 on the Haunted House of Marin County. But could you give us a quick refresher on what the difference between hauntings and apparitions is? 
In the parapsychological community, hauntings refer to what's sometimes called a place memory. The theory is that they're like recordings that a living person lays down during life, like if something really traumatic happened to them in a place, or if they've just lived there for a long time, the person may leave some kind of residue or recording that other people can pick up on after they're gone. This is what is thought to be behind ghost encounters where the ghost always does the same thing, like always walking down the same staircase or always walking down a hallway carrying a candle or whatever. Uh, The ghost acts more like a recording that keeps playing over and over than a conscious being. And so the theory is that that's what it is. It is some kind of recording and not a conscious being. By contrast, apparitions are where a conscious entity does appear. Apparitions behave like interactive conscious beings that you can potentially communicate with. They alter their behavior and don't always do the same set of things all the time. And so the theory is that if an entity acts like a conscious being, it is a conscious being and not just a recording of something from the past. So in standard parapsychological jargon, hauntings are thought not to be conscious entities, but place memories or recordings, while apparitions are thought to involve the appearance of a conscious entity. Let's apply those categories to shadow people. Could some shadow people sightings be explained in terms of hauntings? I think so. One of the things hauntings are reported to do is fade over time, and a shadow person could be a fading version of a place memory. One where the figure in the recording is no longer seen clearly, or where the witness isn't sensitive enough to perceive it fully, so it appears to be an indistinct shadowy figure. As with other hauntings, the key to identifying the situation would be whether the shadow person or shadow people display repetitive patterns of behavior and don't behave interactively. What about apparitions? How might they relate to shadow people? In this case, the key would be whether the shadow people behave interactively, like can you communicate with them, as a couple of Art Bell's correspondents said they could. The question would then be what? is appearing in the apparition, and there are several possibilities. First, living people sometimes appear to others, like when a person is in danger and they appear to friends or relatives in what's known as a crisis apparition. Uh, The haunted house of Marin County also involved a living apparition, and we talked about living apparitions in episode 212 on bilocation, where we saw that Aquinas and others thought that cases of bilocation are to be explained principally by living apparitions, and that bilocation may be explained in some cases by out-of-body experiences or OBEs that people sometimes report having. So, Perhaps sometimes a person is having such an experience and they get perceived dimly as an indistinct type 2 apparition in the darkness. Also, in addition to apparitions of the living, we need to consider two additional possibilities, ghosts and demons. That does bring us to our faith perspective, ghosts and demons. So what can we say about shadow people here? Could some reports be due to ghosts? I think so. As we discussed all the way back in episode one on ghosts, the Christian faith recognizes the existence of departed human spirits or ghosts, and Catholic faith and tradition recognizes that God may sometimes allow them to appear to the living. 
Also, as we saw in episodes 105 and 106 on St. Thomas Aquinas in the Occult, St. Thomas himself thought that God could allow human souls to appear to the living, whether the spirit was in heaven, purgatory, or hell. Given the behavior of shadow people, they don't seem to be saints from heaven, but they could be souls from purgatory that are manifesting as part of working out whatever they need to work out before going to heaven, for example, perhaps to gain the prayers of the living. Or they could be damned souls that are being allowed to appear to the living, perhaps to make the reality of evil clear to them and help scare them back onto the straight and narrow way. What about demons? Could shadow people be demons? In some cases, yes, it's possible. Um, as people know from episode 188 on whether it's always demons, there is, are big risks to overdiagnosing demons. And like any proposed explanation, we would need evidence to support the proposition that a shadow person encounter was due to demons. But if the evidence points that way, I mean, you can't just assert it. Um, but if the evidence points that way, the demon hypothesis would be the one that the evidence supports. Are the facts that shadow people look dark, appear in the dark, and are sometimes frightening be evidence that they are demons? In some cases, maybe, but not in general. Uh, just because something is black doesn't in color doesn't mean it's evil. Black bears and black cats are black, but that doesn't make them demons. And in the case of black cats, people sometimes have associated them with wish, with witches and the devil, but that's superstition. Black cats aren't really servants of the devil, no matter how ill-tempered cats can sometimes act. So just because you see an apparition as a dark, indistinct form doesn't mean it's a demon. Ghosts are also reported to appear as shadowy, indistinct forms sometimes, so the ghost hypothesis also would need to be considered. What about the fact that shadow people often appear at night? Would that make them demons? No. Uh, to look at earthly parallels, lots of animals are nocturnal, including aardvarks, crickets, fireflies, owls, raccoons, and possums. But those animals aren't demons. Uh, sometimes people think of those animals as sinister or some of them like owls. But again, that's just superstition. It's based on the fact that unlike them, we humans are diurnal. So we're most active in the day and we find the night scary because we don't function well in it. So we can think of some night animals as sinister. But if we were nocturnal, We'd find the day frightening with all that oppressive, blinding light that would keep our senses from working well. Also, there are various phenomena that humans only notice at night, like our sister planet, the moon, coming out. Actually, the moon is up there just as much in the daytime as it is in night, but we don't notice it because the light of the sun drowns it out and makes it less noticeable. Maybe the reason shadow people, like many paranormal phenomena, are reported at night is because that's when humans are winding down their activities. So they're in a more relaxed state, making them more open, and because we don't have good light. So we're aware of things that we may not notice during the day and with all of the light and activity that we experience, just like we don't notice the moon during the daytime. What about the fact that shadow people are sometimes frightening? Does that mean it's a demon? 
Uh, just because something scares you, it doesn't mean it's a demon. We talked about that back in episode 188. You need more evidence than that something scared you to show that it's a demon. Um, I thus don't see any of these factors as good indicators that a particular shadow person is a demon. I'd want to see more than that. And I should remind listeners that a lot of shadow people encounters don't involve anything frightening or scary. Uh, As we heard, not all of Art Bell's correspondents felt threatened in their encounters. And the same is true of the cases in Jason Offit's book, like one of a young woman who was listening to music her parents didn't approve of, and a shadow person told her she was going to get caught. Uh, She kept disobeying her parents, and she did get caught. And afterwards, she felt the shadow person was giving her a helpful warning not to disobey her parents. So, Not all reported encounters with shadow people are negative or threatening. Some seem helpful. Good on you, shadow person. (laughs) (laughs) Are there factors you think would be better evidence for the demon hypothesis in the case of a shadow person? One of the things that struck me in reading Jason Offit's book is that shadow people frequently disappear if uh, people pray to God for help or told them to get out in Jesus's name, uh, that was reported in a number of cases. And I do think that that's evidence supporting the demon hypothesis in those cases. Do you view it as conclusive evidence? No, because the same thing could be explained in other ways. Uh, suppose that a shadow person was a damned human spirit. Well, telling a damned soul to get out in Jesus' name might actually work just as well as telling it to a demon. It might even work better since human souls don't have the same intrinsic power that angelic spirits do. Or if a shadow person was a soul in purgatory, then the soul would be on the side of good. And if a person told it to get out in Jesus' name, it could do so out of respect for the person it's clearly alarming. Um, I mean, I'm not even a ghost, but if I was at someone's house and they got afraid and commanded me to leave in Jesus' name, I'd do so. It's their house. And if they want me to leave, I need to respect that if I want to be a good person even if I think they've misunderstood my intentions and gotten unnecessarily freaked out by my presence, you know, if they make it clear to me that they really do want me to leave, I'll do so promptly. And like I said, I'm not even a ghost. What about the fact that some who encounter shadow people pray to God and then the shadow person leaves? If a person is praying to God to end an experience they're having, and it does, that doesn't mean a demon is causing it. Uh, it could end for either natural or or supernatural reasons. Supernaturally, God might take mercy on the person and end the experience. Like when someone is having the experience of suffering from an illness, they pray to God and God ends their experience of suffering by healing them. It doesn't mean that the illness was caused by a demon, just that God took mercy on them and ended the illness. In the same way, is some, if someone is experiencing fear and distress because of a shadow person or a scary dog or anything else and they pray and the problem goes away, that doesn't mean it was a demon. Also, from a purely natural perspective, if a person is passionate about the experience ending, then they're obviously closed to what's happening to them. Their defenses are going up, and just on a natural level, those defenses might shut down the experience. For example, if they're experiencing a haunting or an apparition, and they're closed to that experience, then it might shut down their perception of the haunting or cause the ghost to leave. 
So if a shadow person leaves when a person calls on God or tells them to get out in Jesus's name, it could mean that it's a demon or a damned soul, but it also could mean other things like their rejection of the experience shut down their perception of a haunting or an apparition. To establish a demon diagnosis with confidence, one would need more data, and it would need to be carefully evaluated. As always, we should consider the possibility that a demon might be responsible for something, but we can't rush to that conclusion because it gives demons too much credit, and you can go back and listen to episode 188 for more information. Before we get to your bottom line, what should someone do if they encounter a shadow person or if they have encountered one? If they've encountered one in the past but haven't recently, I wouldn't worry about it. If something isn't causing a problem now, it's not worth stressing about. In fact, when competent paranormal field investigators get reports of something strange happening, they often won't investigate if the event isn't happening now because there's nothing to investigate right now. And it isn't worth trying to figure out something that happened in the past because there isn't enough currently available evidence to make a determination. What if a person is having regular frightening experiences with shadow people right now? Then it's worth taking the time to figure it out. Uh, I mean, if someone's shadow people experiences are being caused by mental illness or brain tumor, he needs to know about that so he can get treatment. Or if they're being caused by a demon, he needs to know that too, so the demon can be gotten rid of. However, one should not immediately leap to dramatic conclusions like, I'm having shadow people experiences, therefore I must have a brain tumor or a demon. Um one should consider all possibilities, both normal and paranormal, and he should consider the most probable ones first, which are the normal ones by definition. Things like dreams, sleep paralysis, and nighttime misperception. Lots of people occasionally see motion out of the corner of their eye, but that doesn't mean it's anything important. On the other hand, if something significant is happening, then Take basic action and see if that stops it. Uh, tell the shadow person it's not welcome and to leave. Tell it that in Jesus' name and see if that works. Ask God to help you. All of those things would be good to try. A key thing is not to cower in fear. Regardless of what's causing the experience, have confidence. Uh, you're a child of God and he will ultimately protect you. If the experiences don't stop as a result of just taking basic action on your own, then consult professionals about what's happening. And those professionals can include doctors, psychologists, parapsychologists, and priests. But take it one step at a time and don't get over anxious or fearful. Jimmy, what's your bottom line on the shadow people? I think that shadow people are a phenomenon that has always been with us, but that has only recently gotten a name, at least in our culture. And I don't think that there is a single cause for the reports. I think multiple causes are involved. Most of the time, shadow people reports likely have normal, natural causes like dreams, sleep paralysis, or nighttime misperception. Some reports also are hoaxes. Some may be caused by mental illness, physical illness, sleeplessness, or pharmaceuticals, including methamphetamine use. When it comes uh, to slightly more exotic causes, uh, some may be caused by infrasound or electromagnetic fields. 
On the paranormal side, I don't see good evidence for shadow people being aliens or interdimensional visitors. I mean, they could always be something we've never thought of, but I think when there is a paranormal cause, I think it's likely to be explained in terms of poltergeists, hauntings, or apparitions. Uh, Some people might mistakenly think a shadow person is causing poltergeist phenomena. Others may encounter a haunting or place memory that looks like a shadow person. And in some cases, it could be an apparition, whether that's a living apparition or an apparition of a soul in purgatory or hell or even an apparition of a demon. However, demons don't seem to allow them don't seem allowed to manifest themselves in the world visibly as often as ghosts do. And so if I concluded that a given shadow person encounter did have a paranormal explanation, I'd think first in terms of hauntings or ghosts, though I would go to the demon hypothesis if that's what the actual evidence pointed to. Jimmy, what further resources can the viewer and listener check out for this? We'll have a link to Jason Offit's book, Darkness Walks, The Shadow People Among Us, uh, John Swanton's book, Source Material for the Social and Ceremonial Life of the Choctaw Indians, uh, Herbert Covey's book, The Methamphetamine Crisis, also articles on shadow people, Harley Swift Deer Reagan, uh, several articles on him, including ones exposing him. Also information on plastic shamans, sleep paralysis, hallucinations, Infrasound and Ghosts, the Skeptics Dictionary on Infrasound, and Vic Tandy's article on in the Journal for the Society of Psychical Research on Infrasound, as well as the Skeptical Inquirer on whether EMF can cause hallucinations. Very good. All right. So what are our mysterious headlines this week? Well, we have an unusual biology theme in our headlines. Um, If you're going to have a shadow person encounter, if you're going to see a shadow person, you need to see them. And some people, you know, have gone blind. And these days, some people have bionic eyes. But some of them are in a kind of tough spot because the company they got their bionic eyes from has stopped providing tech support for the eyes. It's had some financial trouble and it's trying to merge with another company. But right now, there are people with bionic eyes who aren't getting tech support. And so um, it's a bit of a cautionary tale, but check it out. Also, on a happier note, woman gets pregnant while pregnant. Um, this is something that can happen. It can happen a couple of different ways. Um, but, uh, there's a woman in Texas who was already pregnant with one child when she got pregnant with another. And that is apparently one of the, one of the possible causes of fraternal twins. Um, but check out the article as well and learn about how you can get pregnant while being pregnant, even though it's rare. Mm. Uh, by the way, we talked about the bionic eye patients problem on the Secrets of Technology recently. I'll put a link to that show in the show notes as well. So you can check that out if you're interested in hearing more about that from a tech perspective. Cool. So uh, that's it from us. We would love to hear your theories about the mystery of shadow people. You can let us know them by visiting sqpn.com or the Jimmy Akins Mysterious World Facebook page, sending an email to mysterious at sqpn.com sending a tweet to at 
MYS underscore world. You can join the StarQuest Discord community at sqpn.com slash discord or call our mysterious feedback line at 619-738-4515. That's 619-738-4515. And I want to say a special thank you to Oasis Studio 7 for the video and animation work they do on Mysterious World. They do a really good job. So if you have a need for video or animation work, uh, check out their stuff. Uh, You can see it for yourself at uh, my YouTube channel, youtube.com slash Jimmy Aiken. And I am trying to grow my channel, so I'd really appreciate it if you visit the channel and subscribe and hit the bell notification so that you'll always get a notification whenever I have a new video. So, Jimmy, what are we going to be talking about next time? Next week, we're going to be answering patrons' questions. So we'll be talking about issues like the Mandela effect, the full moon effect, the third secret of Fatima, the Siri hypothesis, global warming, the Hestelin lights, and what happened in Sunspot, New Mexico, among many other subjects. All right. Folks, be sure to check out the Mysterious World bookstore at MysteriousWorldStore.com for links to all the books and videos that Jimmy mentions in the show. You can find links to Jimmy's resources from our discussion and links to the mysterious headlines on our show notes at Mysterious.fm slash 221. And remember, to help us continue to produce the podcast, please visit SQPN.com slash give. Jimmy Aiken's Mysterious World is also brought to you by Fearvento Law PLLC, now assisting clients with expungements and set-asides of Michigan convictions. To learn more, call 231-202-3321 or go to fearventolaw.com, F-I-O-R-V-E-N-T-O-Law.com. And by Jimmy Aiken's Mysterious World is also brought to you by Deliver Contacts, offering honest pricing and reliable service for all your contact lens needs. See the difference at DeliverContacts.com. Until next time, Jimmy Aiken, thank you for exploring with us our mysterious world. Thanks, Tom. And once again, I'm Dom Bettinelli. Thank you for listening to Jimmy Aiken's Mysterious World on StarQuest. If you've enjoyed Jimmy Aiken's Mysterious World, you'll also enjoy another StarQuest Network show, Raising the Bets. Find it wherever you can find podcasts or at sqpn.com slash bets. That's B-E-T-T-S.